Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking with Aviv Graffi, who is the founder and CTO of Votiro. And we're going to be talking with Aviv about, you know, the uh, threats that file content pose to enterprises and what companies can do to kind of protect them, themselves from the um, threats that are sometimes hidden in file contents. But before we do that, let's say hi to Aviv. Aviv, how are you today? Great. Thank you, Mark, for inviting me to the show. I'm great. It's my, it's my pleasure. And um, I, I just prior to the hitting the record button, you mentioned that you're based in Tel Aviv. That's right. I'm based in Tel Aviv, Israel. Yeah, I was born here and, and yeah. I noticed in your bio that you you served in the elite intelligence unit of the IDF, which I'm, I think is the, what, is Israeli Defense Force? Yes, that's the Israeli Defense Force. To be more precise, that would be the equivalent of the NSA. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, so mainly focusing on intelligence uh, and security, actually. Actually, so is that how you got your, your start or your interest in cybersecurity? So actually, I started my background in cybersecurity even before that. I was actually as a, as a teenager, I was very curious and I was kind of, uh, you know, breaking things apart. And uh, in most of the times I were able to assemble them back. Uh, but in some <laughs> cases, in some cases, uh, you know, I couldn't and I found it very intriguing. Uh, so I started to spend some time like, uh, you know, researching some stuff, uh, um, hacking for fun. And I think that was the point where the uh, um, the intelligence forces uh, they kind of uh, uh, recruited me, uh, as uh, some of the audience probably know. In Israel, we do have to do our uh, military service. Every young boy or girl, when they we got we get to 18, uh, we need to do a three-year service. So I was recruited, and I served actually more than I served about almost five years in the intelligence forces, mainly focusing on security. Uh, defense and offense operations, and this was really, really exciting and very, you know, uh, interesting times, actually. So, you know, it's interesting, you got your start as a teenager, and um, actually one of my um, sons, one of my boys, is interested in learning more about cybersecurity, um, potentially ethical hacking and things like that. What advice would you give to anyone that's, you know, like sit, still in high school but wants to learn about cybersecurity? So first, I think the one major difference is that uh, back then it was, uh, I think the knowledge was not as spread as today. I think today there's flood and, and probably uh, more than what you can eat in terms of knowledge. Uh, but I think mm -hmm. the best advice I can give is just uh, try, try and try and get your hands dirty. I think it's way, way better than a lot of, uh, you know, any, uh, a lot of the books or theoretical kind of exercises. So just get your hands dirty. You will learn from experience way more than what you learn from theory. So when you say get your hands dirty, you're actually, you know, trying different types of, of hacks, of course, in a controlled ethical manner, but actually do, doing, you know, like setting up a lab or something to, um, you know, set up your VMs and then and then try to do uh, different attacks or different exploits, things like that. Yeah, I think there are tons of tutorials and probably labs, as, as you mentioned. So you can actually uh, try in a controlled environment, like in a lab like with a VM, and having step-by-step -step kind of uh, uh, walk, walk through of how to execute certain attack or certain exploit. 
And I think that's what you learn from that. And then maybe uh, take another thing and try to guess the next steps. And I think that's the best way to learn. And you get your experience and your uh, uh, skill set uh, from those experiences rather than reading how someone else done it. I think it's, it's great for knowledge. Uh, but if you want to really, really polish uh, your thinking, and I think that's the best way to go. Yeah, I think that's true in almost any endeavor. Um, you know, theory is nice, but there's nothing better than, you know, real uh, hands-on practice. So let me ask you, you know, it seems that there's a lot of cybersecurity related companies and startups in that come from Israel. Why is that? So I think there are two main reasons. One is that obviously, um, as a lot of us doing in, you know, um, our military service, a lot of us serving in those kind of intelligence unit. And I think in our neighborhood is kind of, um, we need to invent ourselves and we need to be more pioneer in a lot of aspects around security. Uh, I think that maybe years ago that was, you know, uh, uh, creating some innovative technology for defense, maybe some, you know, uh, um, either uh, missiles or protecting some vehicles. But today it's mostly on the cyber warfare, right? So I think a lot of us, uh, we, we had our experience in the army and um, there's a lot of community here around security, uh, pretty big, pretty big community. And in something in the uh, Israeli mindset around, we can make it on our own and not necessarily work for big corporates. So a lot of us, a lot of the young folks, if they want to have their own venture, they want to have their own startups. That's actually how I got uh, our founded Rotiro. I was I was working for a couple of startups after my army service. I was 20 something years old. And I, I said to myself, look, I want to have my own thing. I'm not sure what I want to have, but I want to have my own business. And I think this is kind of a mindset that is pretty common here in Israel. I think this is influencing a lot of the cybersecurity ecosystem here, uh, along with the great talent that develops here. Makes a lot of sense. And having a community around you with like-minded goals or interests is super, super important. I mean, you know, you, you have that there with your startup community, also um, the interest in cybersecurity. There are other, obviously, pockets, places like Silicon Valley. There's, you know, here in the Seattle area where I'm at, there's, um, you know, obviously a, a lot of uh, different uh, tech startups. But even, it's funny because I, I just read the biography from the bass player of Guns N' Roses, and, you know, he grew up in this community of musicians here in Seattle, and it's just so much easier to advance your skills um, if you're surrounded by people that are doing something similar. So it sounds like a, a pretty exciting time to be in Tel Aviv if you're in a, a cybersecurity startup. Um, what is zero trust content security? And I should preface that by by telling the audience that um, that is the type of service that Botero provides. But can you kind of define that for me? Sure. So for those of you familiar with the, we're not familiar with the zero trust uh, concept, the zero trust concept means that uh, we actually working uh, as the opposite in how we worked until just recently. And practically that means that we're not trusting the identity, for example, of that user or accessing a certain resource. That is mostly zero trust from network and identity perspective. And this is what we see most of the kind of uh, companies, platforms, products out there, they're aiming towards zero trust around the network and identity. So if someone want to access certain resource in the network, um, by default to be den denied, and we have a set of policies and processes to grant 
uh, that permission only for the user uh, to access that specific resource. Now, the thing is that even if we did that, and there's kind of evolution as we see that in the zero trust uh, model, that first came the uh, network, then came the identity altogether, but we knew, do need to implement that for data as well. And I, I want to give you an example of uh, what is uh, zero trust for content. Uh, if you think about a lot of the documents that we're exchanging these days, for example, uh, when I share with you my um, document of my bio before the uh, the show, uh, you got it as a Word document, right? Now, you open that Word document because, you know, that's what you do, right? You want to run this show, you want to read that bio. Uh, but in fact, it could be a weaponized document. And by saying, yes, I know I trust the identity of Aviv, or maybe I trust that, even from provider that I'm fetching the document from, it's not enough. And, and that's why we said the content itself that is served need to be also treated in a zero trust manner. And, and that's kind of how, what is, stands behind uh, Butcher's technology, which called uh, a content disarmament reconstruction, which I'm happy to, to share more about. Yeah, be, I definitely want you to do that. But before you do that, um, Explain then, okay, in the context that you just described, how does, if if there's no trust, how does a document get approved or how does an email get approved? You know, what is the, what, there must be some kind of internal check there. Yeah, so uh, maybe before explaining that, I want to explain the background on how we got to that zero trust for content. So um, one of the things I did before I founded Votero uh, I was uh, doing services, uh, penetration testing and audits, security audits for companies around the world. Mm -hmm. And there was something that I found uh, that after three or four or five days of, uh, you know, interviewing the IT staff and, and checking their systems, is that I could easily hack almost any client. Um, I, I got my hands on their, uh, one of their keyboards there. And it's just sending uh, a weaponized document which looks like a resume to the recruiting department. Yeah. And sending that and saying, hey, I want to apply to a position and work with you, Mark. I want to help you with the show. And I know, by the way, Aviv, the, the guest that you actually hosted last week. Uh, so I'll be happy to provide reference if needed. And, and you know, your job, Mark, because you want to, uh, to have that job, you know, uh, allocated. So you would need to screen those hundreds of resumes a week. And that would work 100% of the times. And then I thought to myself, okay. 30 years after we invented all those fancy detection technologies like antivirus, anti-malware, sandboxing, EDR, all those technologies, and yet we're still getting hit by documents, which is content. And I thought, okay, so Mark, what are you really interested in when I'm sending you that resume? And probably you would say, I'm interested in the content of that resume, not the actual PDF or Word document that the vulnerability or the exploit actually embedded in it. So what if I will take that content of that resume and I will replicate that to a fresh template of that Word document and deliver that to you in milliseconds? In that case, you would feel the exact same experience. You're actually reading the exact same resume from your perspective, but the bits, the underlying bits that actually are mandatory for the bad guy to execute the attack, are just not there anymore. 
so it's it's almost like that you could just take a screen capture of the document and then just take a look at the images that's in the text. I'm sure that that's not the technology, but basically you're allowing people to see the content in a in a in a way without actually opening the everything that's inside the document. Yes, in some way it's like zero copying uh, zero scoping the the document, but we preserve all the functionality. So if if you're expecting to have a word document, you will get a word document with everything in it like like you never knew that we were there because we replicate, we're taking the content, the the known good of that document and placing that on a fresh template. If you think about that, it's like most of the technologies out there, they're trying to find, to find the bad stuff in content. So let's say you're receiving a Word document and then you're sending that to your favorite anti-malware technology or EDR and you say, okay, is, do you see if there's something bad in it? And uh, the anti-malware would say, you know, I haven't seen anything that looks suspicious, so probably it's fine, um, I guess. <laughs> and that's that's how you deliver malware. But what we say, instead of looking for the bad stuff, which to be honest, as as uh, as ex uh, um, a black hat, it's it's almost impossible because the bad guy all always you know faster than the, the the good guys. So let's take the good stuff out of those documents. Like let's take the content, the links, the images, everything that's really needed for our business. And deliver that, and and that's the idea behind content disarmament reconstruction, uh, or CDR, uh, which let's take all documents, assume that they're potentially bad, because that's behind that's the logic behind zero trust for content, and deliver only the known good, which is essentially the user experience of all that content, and by by applying or um, applying that content security approach or. Uh, um, zero trust content security for documents, we can actually provide a protection that is way better than what um, you can have today by guessing whether a document is good or bad. Well, I, I, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but the light bulb just came on for me and uh, my mind's kind of blown because this is like a total paradigm shift um, and on, on a couple different levels. So uh, one, if, I, if I'm hearing you correctly, most the paradigm in the past for most platforms has, hey, can we see some malicious code in this content or in this document? And if we can't, like you said, well, probably it's okay, right? But the bad guys are getting better and better at sneaking things in there that we can't detect or sometimes that we miss. Maybe maybe we don't run the 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 AV or we don't run the you know one of the other systems that will detect it, or maybe that system just isn't strong enough. And so something gets through, right? Something sneaks right. through the cracks. But if we just change the paradigm and say, you know what, we don't even care if there's bad stuff in there because we're not going to touch it. We're just going to take out the content that we want and take that content and put it into a template that we know is safe, whether that's a Word document. Could, uh, uh, what types of documents can you can you handle with your system? So practically, uh, all almost all business uh, documents out there, like. Uh, Word document, Excel spreadsheets, uh, PowerPoints, um, uh, like images, PDFs, RTFs, uh, ar like archives, like zip files, uh, and even planning files like AutoCAD. Uh, CAD. I was going to say in InDesign. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that, so you you covered all the majors. What happens if there's a file format that um, that your platform doesn't handle? 
So we rarely see such format, but in some businesses we do. Most of the big enterprise, sometimes there are some edge cases. So there are two options. Either we uh, develop a support for that, or according to the policy of the organization, whether they want to run it through traditional systems or want to pass it or want to block it. Uh, but to be honest, uh, uh, more than 99.9 something percent of the files we support. And to be honest, we support the files with that contain risk. Um, yeah. Maybe some esoteric file, maybe... We don't support it, but you need to take into account also the risk of having an exploit in it. Makes makes a lot of sense. I, I'm just curious because, you know, all of the, well, say all, most of the times that I come across a malicious file, it's some type of phishing campaign or some kind of, you know, they're just blasting it out. And the, the, the document is not something that I want to access. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if you have any statistics at all about those kind of attacks versus the attacks that, you know, that you were talking about where somebody, they actually want to get to the content. The content is valuable, but somebody has slipped some, some malicious code in there. So just to summarize, you know, most of the time that you're hit with one of these attacks, the content's irrelevant. It's just somebody saying, hey, here's my resume. And I don't really want their, that person's resume because it's not it's a bogus resume, right? Um, versus I do want this content, but there may be some malicious code in there. I mean, do you have any kind of numbers at all? So most of the documents obviously are benign, right? Most of the documents yeah. that the enterprise received would be benign. Uh, I think the, the likelihood of having someone that really implants something in the content is exists, but it's relatively low. I want to share with you a case where we saw some very, very interesting attack. Uh, that someone did something very similar to what you just described. So one of our financial uh, um, industry customers, like one of the big enterprises in the US, um, is actually working with a law firm. And la that small law firm uh, got breached. In fact, uh, a bad guy took over one of the mailboxes of one of the lawyers in that law firm. And that bad guy saw a threat between that lawyer and, and that employee in that financial, that insurance company. And it, he, he tracked that threat and said, okay, there is, they're exchanging drafts of a contract. So he just hit reply on the last, uh, email in that thread and said, hey, I've attached another version of the contract. And in fact, he attached that contract, was, which was a malicious word document uh, with the malicious macro. And the clever thing that he added to that is that he password protected that word document. <laughs> so, so in yeah. fact, if you would ask that poor employee in the insurance company, you would ask him, uh, do you know the sender? Say, yes, of course I know Ashley. She's she's a lawyer I'm working with for years. Okay. Have you expected anything from her? Yes, of course I expected that contract because we're exchanging emails on that for the last uh, five days. So all the, those questions that you would ask, I say, yes, um, this is completely legit. And so you would open that document. Uh, but the, the great thing that the bad guy did is he actually added that password protected. So he practically blinded most of the security solutions on the way. So none of the email security solutions, none of the uh, uh, endpoint or anything that related to the transit could ever check that document because it's practically encrypted as it's password protected. So 
So this was very, very, very clever attack. With Votero, we understood that uh, there is a likelihood for such attacks, which is password protected uh, malicious documents. Uh, so we added a workflow. In fact, that detects password protected. And instead of just blocking them altogether, like some of the solutions are doing, we're asking the user, can you provide us the password for the for that document? And once the user provides the password, we're decrypting that document. We're doing all that magic of CDR and delivering a safe version of that encrypted document to the user. So in fact, the, that employee, that financial organization opened the document and it was just safe. Uh, so maybe he was not interested in the actual content, but he was sure that he's, he's expecting that and no harm actually ever done to that organization. But we saw similar attacks in a lot of other organizations and and we see those very, very sophisticated hijacks happening more and more. Uh, it, it, the more you explain it, the more it makes sense. It's just, it's the whole paradigm shift. Um, don't look for the bad stuff, just take out the good stuff in a safe manner. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, tell me about how the platform is deployed. How long does it take? Can you do cloud or on-prem, um, you know? Sure. So Voteros platform is a cloud-based platform, um, and, but we do have an on-prem version for uh, some uh, those customers who are more uh, sensitive or, or maybe bigger enterprises. We do have that as well, but we are hosting a completely scalable, high -level, highly available uh, Voteros solution uh, on the cloud. That is your trust Voteros cloud on over AWS. Uh, this is one. Uh, but I want to touch on another point. I talked about emails, but we saw a lot of uh, clients of ours saying, you know, we started from email, but we're getting a lot of content now being shared via Slack, via Box, oh, yeah. through OneDrive and SharePoint. And some of the solutions that we do have in place, they're not protecting from uh, those sources. Uh, so in Vatero, we kind of have a holistic approach. So we do have our core technology and we wrap it with a, a variety of connectors. So we can easily connect to Office 365, but also to your um, Box deployments, also Slack, uh, Dropbox, um, and uh, uh, we're soon going on some more integrations. And we now um, just recently released a browser plugin. So anything that the employee is downloading also being protected by the same technology. So before that document hits the, uh, uh, the hard drive or actually the browser, the file is being completely disarmed and being presented uh, as, as it used to be without any threat in it. So first, the, the platform obviously is, can be cloud-based or is cloud-based, uh, but the, the variety of connectors and how we really wrapping uh, the organization from all the variety of incoming sources of documents, this is extremely important as we see an influx of, of new documents out there. And, and what's the user experience? Um, like, how aware am I as an end user that uh, this is working in the background? So if you think about uh, uh, what we had previously, like years ago, the sandboxing solutions. So it took like minutes to run the file in the sandbox uh, because you were trying to wait for something bad to happen. Now, with material positive selection and CDR technology, you're not trying to render the file. So you're doing some deterministic process, which practically take milliseconds. So in fact, the latency is, is sub-second anyway. Uh, so the user does not, does not notice that we were there anyway. Also from the user um, experience perspective, it gets the exact same file format. For example, 
if I was sending the user an Excel spreadsheet, he would receive Excel spreadsheet. Looks exactly the same, same formulas, same charts, uh, same content, uh, and exact same look and feel. So in fact, um, uh, it took us actually, to be honest, like uh, several years to polish the technology to get to the point where the user they don't even notice that we're there. Excellent. What are your customers' biggest concerns uh, when you're out talking to them? So I think the, the most of the question is that we want to see that uh, this actually works and how you can show us um, that you really blocked uh, that, con that that malicious documents. So one of the things that we did introduce is we introduced a, a smart retrospective scanning. In fact, when we uh, disarming uh, a threat in the document, we not necessarily know that in real time. Remember, because I told you we're taking only the good stuff and then we uh, you know, shows, deliver that, but we not necessarily know that we really stopped anything in real time. So what we did is that we were storing the original content for a few days, and after a few days, we were re-scanning it with the traditional scanning software. In fact, those uh, traditional Navy takes them maybe weeks uh, um, to get the, the new signature, but after a week or a couple of weeks, we scan that, and then we can tell the, the, the client or the end user, look, Two weeks ago, you received a document. Don't worry, you're safe. But we can now tell you that that sample was malicious and no one in the world knew that back then. Uh, in that way, we could really show how, I mean, we provide that return on investment and really protecting from those uh, highly sophisticated and newly uh, created samples of that uh, of those threats. Awesome. Do you ever, when you're when you're blocking malicious content, do you ever have like a false positive scenario where you actually block content that was not malicious that should have gone through to the uh, to the end user? So, so yes and no. Uh, in, in our notion, there is no such thing as false positive, but we do have, uh, um, in some cases, uh, of course, excluding software bugs and some other things. But uh, we actually tracking the number or the occurrence of things that we're blocking that we shouldn't be blocking or shouldn't be changing. And and on the last year, couple of years, we got it below the 0.01% of the traffic. So that happens, to be honest, but mm -hmm. relatively low. And we have our customer um, support process in order to, um, to improve and, and solve that. You know, with traditional platforms like this, um, the paradigm where you're looking for something malicious and then you will block that or block the whole document. Um, the, the companies are typically looking out at the dark web and trying to understand, you know, the evolution of the, the uh, different types of attacks that are being used, right? And they're developing tools that are preventing the most commonly um, occurring attacks in your case you're not you're not as concerned about the attacks because you're just you're just extracting the useful content um, regardless of the type of attack but i'm wondering then do you have to be looking out at the new types of content uh, that are that customers are using so that you can be sure that you're extracting the good stuff um, in in the the appropriate manner is that a challenge at all? So, so that's a great question because if you think about that, as we chasing the the good content or the uh, let's say the benign content, 
Uh, in fact, we the process that we did for the last few years, we took the file format, let's say uh, Word document, and uh, Microsoft published the the how the, the specification of that file format. Now, luckily, they're not changing the format that much because if they would be changing the format frequently, they would be breaking a lot of the Microsoft Word applications out there. Because if you if you're running Microsoft Word 2003, you still be able to open. Uh, recent documents that created with the Microsoft Office, like from from the last year, right? So mm -hmm. we're actually leveraging that that the file format is more or less being kept. Uh, I mean, relatively in the same uh, shape. And once we completed the process of developing virtuous technology for that Word document uh, structure or for the PDF, it's more or less uh, becomes stable. So we don't need to chase the new content. Uh, but obviously, when releasing a new file format, which we, for example, PDF released three, four years ago, or more than that, uh, we had to kind of polish it. But but then it got just stable. So in fact, we don't need to just to chase the uh, the bad stuff as we're not looking for the bad stuff. And luckily, the good structure is being kept stable, as otherwise we wouldn't be have all those uh, PDF readers out there uh, stable. Otherwise, they would be just breaking every every week. Makes sense. How do you handle audio video content that's attached to messages or that is, you know, being downloaded or uploaded to, um, you know, different platforms? So that's a great question. So uh, uh, to um, to answer for that, first, we do support audio and video formats. We just recently added that support uh, for supporting uh, uh, most of the common formats out there. Uh, but to be honest, a, a lot of a lot of the traffic these days, it's not, you know, they're not sharing uh, audio and video anymore. Usually the, those are being uploaded to, you know, content sharing websites. Uh, this is what we see. Uh, yet, um, with some uh, business processes, uh, for example, a lot of uh, customers from, uh, let's say, banks, uh, they're opening the system to the client. So they, for example, there is a client-facing portal allowing their client to upload documents, to upload, for example, uh, like insurance company or health insurance company, you can upload a doctor report, or sometimes if you had an accident, you can upload an image or a video of something happened to your car. So they asked us whether we can have we can we can have Vatura on that client-facing portal upload the data. Uh, so we have Vatura's API, so we can easily integrate with any application like that application, and we do support uh, video and audio that their clients are uploading so before the someone from the claim processing department actually touches that video and checked uh how to categorize or how to classify that uh, claim uh that that video that image is completely safe so uh, uh the that insurance company can know that it can continue to do business without getting impacted by any of those attacks again makes a lot of sense uh, you know <clears throat> Oftentimes, a, a certain GIF or meme will get super popular and people will start sharing it with all their friends or their colleagues. They might share it in a, in a Teams channel or in a chat uh, or via, via email. And it, like if, if I was a, a, a bad actor, if I put my bad actor hat on, I would wait for the next big, you know, uh, super popular GIF, put some bad code in there and just start sharing it. And just get it out there, you know. Like I don't know if you remember the the the, the Bernie Sanders thing where he was at uh, 
the uh, the inauguration <laughs> with his mittens and everybody in the world shared that. And Bernie was popping up in all these funny places with his mittens on and his and you know all you'd have to do is put some bad code in there because the thing went viral like you know mega times. So how how would your system help in something like that? So with images, one thing that we uh, do, and that's something we also patented, is that we know how to inject micro changes into those uh, images. So we know how to take, for example, that uh, JPEG or PNG document, and by reconstructing it uh, and actually recreating the pixels in a way that if there was something embedded in it, some code, it will be broken. And, mm -hmm. and the way that we do that, by injecting those invisible micro changes, if you think about a code, code has to be run bit by bit, right? You cannot yeah. even touch a bit in it. Otherwise, it will be invalidated in the processor. We just, you know, throw an exception and that's it. So, so in fact, by introducing micro changes, which are invisible to the human eye, but are catastrophic to the bad guy, that's how we can easily disarm any threat within that embedded within pixels of an image. That is pretty darn cool. What can you tell me about your business? Like, you know, how are you in terms of your growth trajectory? Where are you active? What type of customers are you are you working with? Sure. So we actually, as, as I told you, I'm, I'm based in Tel Aviv. We founded uh, the company in Israel uh, several years ago. Uh, we started actually our business uh, outside of Israel in, in Japan and Singapore, which is uh, very interesting, uh, strange or interesting. Uh, and uh, we were very successful around government and, uh, and banking and financial. Uh, and just uh, a couple of years ago, we, or a bit more than that, we started our first steps in the US. Uh, and now most of our business and, and the company focus both on, on sales, marketing and, and technical support is uh, based in the US. We do have uh, customers mostly um, in the uh, um, financial, BFSI, like insurance, banking, uh, retail, shipping companies, uh, law firms, uh, in fact, almost every sector out there. Um, as we do have our cloud platform, uh, recently we started to onboard some uh, smaller customers like uh, uh, mid-sized enterprises and small enterprises. Uh, and, uh, and to be honest, soon we're going to uh, uh, initiate a uh, very, very new platform that uh, targets uh, MSPs and MSSPs uh, to actually get what you're kind of, as you mentioned, that paradigm change and that new approach to actually uh, smaller customers and, and bigger audience. As we believe that uh, if, for example, in my mom's shop, uh, she wouldn't need to actually bother checking whether she was expecting that document or that email from someone, just opening any document without the need to think twice, we think that will be a great benefit, for, especially for those who are not security savvy, because we're just letting them work. We don't need to really think about, about that security thing and just being productive in their business. Excellent. And are most of your customers are they inbound they they're they're looking for a solution on the web or do you have both inbound and outbound sales so we have both uh, inbound and outbound um i cannot say that, that there's something that is more than the other um we do we are working with uh, uh, local uh, partners and resellers and we have technology partnerships uh both with with like companies like uh, uh, uh like the sim vendors like uh, microsoft uh, Sentinel and uh, Sumo Logic, 
uh, and we do have integrations with, for example, with the uh, Broadcom, uh, with the um, and security, and we do have uh, integrations with Fortinet and with some other folks. So we can actually work very well with existing solutions as well and with their partners. Excellent. And and what's next for you? So as I mentioned, uh, two things that are coming up. One is the support for uh, MSPs and MSSPs because we want to deliver that uh, promise and the uh, uh, new paradigm for uh, small organizations, not necessarily for the mid-sized enterprises or the big enterprises. This is one. And the second thing that we are going to get into uh, PII detection, we believe that we produce threat-free documents but we also want to produce PII-free documents. We found that a lot of our customers are saying, look, we're receiving documents from outside. We don't want to be liable. And sometimes we're receiving private information. We don't want to get under those acts uh, and being liable. So we are starting uh, to add this as an add-on to our product to actually remove or mask or reduct uh, private information that shouldn't be there. So you can get uh, threat-free documents, but also PII-free documents. That's interesting. That's a whole other case, uh, use case there. Because I mean, you know, obviously anybody who's subject to GDPR, um, well, a variety of different regulatory bodies re require, you know, very specific methods for handling PII. And as such, data becomes almost a liability or potential liability. And, and, and so just to, to block it from the start is, a, is, a, is that's, a, again, another paradigm shift. Very cool. Well, hey, um, I, Aviv, if people want to get more information about Votero, what's the best way for them to do that? So the best way, just go to Votero's website. So it's votero.com. Uh, and uh, I will be happy uh, to schedule a demo. We're happy to share with you some of the resources out there on the website. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to hear your feedback, your concern, your questions. Um, I, I think that there is no better way than than knowing the field and the market and just interacting between us uh, humans. Uh, and uh, as an entrepreneur, I love to get direct feedback. So if anyone want to reach out to me, would love to have uh, um, a 10-minute chat whenever uh, they're free. Uh Awesome. Well, hey, Aviv, thank you so much for, uh, for being on Secure Talk. Thank you very much, Mark, and have a great day. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.